This episode is sponsored by Podgo. We use Podgo to monetize all of our podcasts and get paid within 24 hours. So if you're a podcast, want to get paid, be sure to check out Podgo. That's P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. That's Podgo dot C-O. And be sure to enter our name in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. See you guys in the episode. It's the language of the universe. But I don't understand it. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Math and Physics Podcast. I'm your host, Parker. And I'm Ray, and we welcome you back to another episode where today we have special guest Dr. Zach Wolski on with us today, a uh, postdoc fellow here at the University of Toronto, and actually Parker's teacher for that's linear right. algebra. That's right. So that's, that's really right. cool. So uh, interestingly enough, you might notice the background's a little bit new. We are actually, for the very first time, inside a U of T building recording the podcast. And here with us today, in person, is Dr. Dr. Zach Wolski. So, Zach, you want to introduce yourself to our listeners for a little bit? Hi, Who sure. Are you? So, I'm a postdoc in the math department at U of T. That means I do some research related to math things, I do some research related to math education things, and I do some teaching. Math education, definitely very important for the future. <laughs> I of, hope so. <laughs> of math. So, yeah, before we actually get into the podcast, we have a quick introduction. Uh, yeah, quick intro to the episode. As you know, we share the news for the podcast. So this week, we have, well, we're almost at a very special number, almost at 300,000 downloads ooh, in ooh. total. That's crazy. So That's thank crazy. you so much for downloading That's the podcast. Crazy. Also, we are almost at 17,500 followers on Spotify. So if you're listening to this podcast right now, make sure to hit the follow button and even go on YouTube and subscribe to this video. If you, you know don't what you know should also do on YouTube, though? You should comment. And why would you do that? Why, why, why should you comment on one of our YouTube videos, though? Comment of the week. <laughs> That's right. So the comment of the week is a weekly comment picker on whoever comments on our videos. And last week we have Paul. And uh, Paul says, just wanted to say thanks for doing this podcast. I'm a 32-year-old tile settler. I've listened to every episode and look forward to every new one. Thanks for making my mind stimulated in a job where monotonous tasks are the norm. Keep it up. Thank so you thank so much. You. Thank you, Paul, for a lovely comment. Uh, any other news we want to get to? I think I think that's all. I think that's basically it. I think that's basically it. So we can get into the nitty gritty of the podcast with a classic question, as we always do. You all, you also know this. Prep. You also <laughs> know this. Uh, so, Zach, let me ask you, what originally got you into the field of mathematics? Okay, I think this is a hard problem. It is. Call, it a, call it a problem, <laughs> not a question. I was thinking about it, and I just keep going further back in time. Mm -hmm. Then, like, I could say, oh, yeah, doing my PhD, that was really when I was doing mathematics. Mm -hmm. But before that, doing my undergrad, I switched over from engineering into pure mathematics. And even before that, my experiences of, like, childhood when I'm solving puzzles and doing these books of things that are like Sudoku, mm -hmm. these type of logic game puzzles. Um, maybe that's like what got me into math. That 
so kind of like it, game. was it stimulated like by by your parents or was it like from you oh, you no, went out baby. and bought your puzzles <laughs> i mean someone gave them to me i think a lot of times my grandma something for me to do mm-hmm. um puzzles always they were puzzles that like were logic related so sometimes like logic grid like these people live in these houses and how are they related and yeah. what do you figure out um, and sometimes things where you're filling in numbers, but never anything that was like school math. Never anything, Always yeah. a, like, I get the feeling from, the same feeling from doing a Sudoku, where the numbers don't actually matter. What matters is the, if this is true, then this other thing. Kind of like intuition. Happen. Like you can like kind of like apply your thinking without really having a good knowledge of the scenario, right? Kind I of. I think the opposite. You think the op? I, I would think like it is more like related to just you thinking logically and less of knowing. Is yeah, that's less intuition. I it's, agree it's with not, that. More it's, intuition. I think it's more like you you think a little bit deeper. It's not like oh, I see the answer. You know, you go one step at a time and you say this follows logically from this, and then you keep going. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. That's also uh, a valid way to think about it. Yeah. Sure. My intuition would be like I just put whatever numbers anywhere. I need a grid full of numbers, but really, yeah. I need like <laughs> I follows right. the logical rules. Yeah. And my guess is, I don't know that they're correct. Mm. That's probably where I mean I I can see how that can be like a starting point for any for a lot of mathematicians like with base logic, like because philo- I mean like a little bit of philosophy in there too, like a little bit of oh how why do these numbers work this way and why does why does this block in Sudoku work kind of thing like a simple question like that. You know, you can extend it, always generalize it to higher orders when you get older. But just starting with that or base. Anytime. Or yeah, or anytime. <laughs> I guess anytime. You but, always get older, right? Yo, In the future. So I guess. Well, so, yeah. so so that so we've established that the Sudoku probably got the math into you. The but logic. Like, or the logic, logic, right? The logic. Yeah. The logic and totally, yeah. totally divorced from math. So, so like, I guess, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess. So when also I did logic math very in similar. School, yeah. I would do well. And I think mostly it was from just having logic mm-hmm. and not really like familiarity with numbers or anything. But people would say like, you're good at math. And I go, yeah, I guess. I Are guess. you familiar with Olympiads? Are you familiar with Olympiads? So until grade five, I had no kind of contest anything. Mm. I moved to a new school and there there was a dedicated math teacher. And she said, hey, we run this math contest club. Do you want to come and try these out mm. at lunchtime once a week? And so I did. And it was all like older students, grade seven and eight. And we just, you know, work on things that were kind of like puzzles. Yeah, that's basically like, what this they is are. great. Yeah. And then I did the test and I did great. And I was like the top score in my region. Wow. Oh, wow. Like, oh, nice. What's that mean? And no, like, wow. That's actually really You get a little impressive. prize. Yeah. You get some money. And I went, mm-hmm. cool, I'm in. Cool. Let's cool. do this again. <laughs> Then when I was in grade seven, this sort of screwed up all my math education. I was in a split class, grade seven, eight. Okay. Um, The teacher noticed I understood the math things and that I would also understand the grade eight part. So we just said, why don't you just do the grade eight test? You can get the grade eight credit early. Mm -hmm. Have a spare or something next year. And I said, okay, sounds fine. We had a parent-teacher interview, talked to my parents. He was like, you should be doing more advanced math. And they were like, we don't know any. What can you do? Like, and they were like, we can offer grade eight. And they were like, cool. <laughs> we're in. Will it cost us anything? No, we're in. 
then my grade eight teacher said, well, it's silly for you to do grade eight, and it, I'm not going to have you sit here and do nothing all class, so you're going to go over to the high school and take a grade nine math. Wow. And she arranged for that to happen, and thanks, Miss Darlington. <laughs> I, from then on, I took math with people a year older than me every year. So I didn't know anybody in the math classes. I would do math before my peers. I would never talk to them about math, and it really derailed my math experience. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a part of it, a big part of it. But for sure, that was an aspect that made me go, okay, I can do math. But when you were doing it with the older kids, like, did that inspire you or did that demotivate you that, oh, my friends aren't here? Or were you thinking like, oh, I'm in this big boy class? Like, what way did you think about it? I guess like glass half full I or was glass thinking half empty? I get a free credit. I get an extra spare in mm. grade 12. That's how you're thinking. Mm. I'll okay. get this done now so I don't have to do it later. That math classes were not very inspirational at all. Yeah, so it, so it, it wasn't really a, oh, I really like it. It was just, hey, I'm good at it, so no, I'm just going to do it. No, it was a thing I could do. Okay, yeah. okay. I never really So the it. passion for math hadn't still really come out yet? Or or was it there, was just never in school? I guess, like, yeah, it was there and it was not in school. It was just not in school. I would still write contests. I can see a lot of I people I still did well yeah. in these contests. I had, like, again, like, I'm from Durham region, which is a little away from Toronto. And does not have like exceptional math students. Mm -hmm. So being on the top of my region wasn't like, oh, I'm crushing it. Mm -hmm. uh, but I got in my last year in high school, I got an invitation to a national math camp. That's like, we picked 50 people from around Canada. Everybody comes to Ottawa. Oh, wow. You hang out with I'm other high school Ottawa. students. And you get to do cool, fun stuff with these like math professors from University of Ottawa. And that was great. Then I was like, oh, math is fun. Yeah. <laughs> you can do these interesting things. Mm -hmm. There are other people who also have this logical way of thinking mm -hmm. about puzzles. And you get to, you get to have fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I think when you meet people like start. that. Yeah, for sure. I, but being in the, in the position now, especially as a math educator, and having been in the situation where you were so interested in math as a kid, but weren't pushed in school? I think this is a huge question. But I mean, this is also very general because every teacher can has their own response for this. But like, is there a, a particular thing that you saw in your education where you're like, I just wouldn't do it this way. I just wouldn't teach it this way. Because being an educator yourself right now, would you be like, oh, I've changed my way of teaching to this because I think this gets out that passion in those people? This is relatively new for me. But I think if I would change anything in any education, it's to get rid of grades. Mm. That's very powerful. That That's a very powerful statement. Grading students and assigning grades, and we see this especially in math, when we have some kind of dichotomy of right-wrong, that there's, you get the answer on the test or you don't get the answer on the test, and if you don't get it, you're a failure. And it really pushes people out of math. Mm -hmm. And that not having grades does not have this effect. So, so not having grades. to your grades, big question of mm -hmm. what would I change, I would get rid of grades. So get rid of grades as in like no exams? Or like still exams, but 
you're not graded or like you get feedback or like I mean, what's we the... would have to think about why do we want to have an exam what's the purpose of an exam mm. my, my my always because my thought of an exam is in in a real life scenario you're gonna have like a deadline you're gonna have like a stressful situation certainly, certainly. so you're gonna have a period in your life where you're gonna have to apply probably a lot of the things that you learned in like a 40 minute period you're do like you oh think? shoot i don't know how realistic it is because i'm still in 40 minutes i don't know i don't know <laughs> maybe do not. you think maybe not at any point in your life after university someone will put you in a room with some paper and no other external tools that's and a big thing too that, i guess that's a big thing too the no external tools thing is also a very controversial like why do you but know? i think to be fair like exams are an okay way of saying like Oh, how well did you actually like absorb some of the material? Like it's, it's do you some believe way. that? Do you do you believe that it, the uh, like an examination is a good way to test if a student has understood so, the material? Parker said an okay way. I said okay. He said okay, I, but I'm asking I don't, you now. I don't like exams. I'm just saying that it's 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 a it's a valid way to be like, yeah, I can do some of these questions that are related to the material because I understood it. What about you? I, I really want to know your, your, your thought on the I exam. I think that's certainly true for some students. I think there are students who, under non-test situations, can fully explain and answer problems. And then when there is a test, that, like some anxiety kicks in, that your brain freezes when you go, I don't know what to do. A lot and of, for those yeah, students, they are very much being punished by having exams that do not consider them yeah it's a little sad yeah. it's sad that there but we like but we just have to think about what do we need what do we want from exams and if it is a student to demonstrate that they understand something are there other ways that we can do this mm -hmm. yeah that's actually really powerful because like the whole i mean this is such a taboo and like you know such a common thing to say like the whole education system is so back because it's been like everything has changed modernized in the last 200 years education system been the one thing that stayed almost the exact same you know with like the teacher in front of the board teaching 30 sure. kids the like, lecture or like 30 the lecture, I wish. The lecture. 30. <laughs> I mean, the, the idea the idea yeah. i guess yeah. okay sorry the university definitely much bigger but uh, the idea of the like the lecturer student interaction is is always basically the same has been the same so i guess like changing it up like i believe I believe it's a country, Finland or Sweden, one of those countries that has got, has got rid of grades completely and has actually seen a quite a large increase in the productivity of its citizens because of literal removing grades from high school. How do you measure that, though? Because I believe the way that they did it or the study that I was seeing was like percentage of like CEOs or like successful businessmen or something like that in the area. Or so sometimes I listen it was to some talk, measure and I... Ray throws out a lot of unsourced. Yeah, data. no, believe me, I <laughs> so will. For this one, he's gonna put Very a link true. in the description. I'm yeah. gonna, I'm Ray's gonna, gonna, I'm gonna find okay. the link. I'm, I'm gonna, you don't have I'm to find, find it now, but it's gonna go in, so we can go look, check it out. <laughs> I, I want to know about I this. Do, I'm I do very interested <laughs> to hear about this. There are definitely no because I read I saw this whole video dedicated to changing like education systems mm. and it was talking about like this one country that had removed grades and it had seen like more successful stuff. It was either again, I don't want to pull it out because I, I, I will cite it. I will cite it. But I just wanted to mention because like you're talking about grades and you're talking about how like the effect of grades. So I wanted to say that, yeah, it's had it's happened so before. I'm aware some of some places. studies with the, where this happens way more locally. 
that in a certain region or in a, like a district in the U.S. where they can control effects of grades, they can just remove grades, and they traditionally do it in rich white suburban areas, and they notice, hey, it has a big effect. Everybody does better. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's mm. there's a lot on the scale to say grades are not helpful. Like assignments, though. Still agree with assignments. I don't know. What do we want from assignments? <laughs> assignments, <laughs> I would say, is the same thing, though. What, would, like you, what would be the evaluation, then? Just have like an interview, like a one-on-one -on -one interview? Why do, we want, why do we need an evaluation? What's the purpose of the evaluation? No, just to be like, you didn't waste your time in this class and you absorbed some of the knowledge. So something I do in my class is ask students, what did you absorb from this class? What did you learn? Tell me about it. Mm -hmm. If they can't tell me anything, then I would go, okay, this class did not go well for you. That's it? But mostly they can tell me some things that they can do. But is that, is that all that needs to be like tested is if you can so officially the university requires certain things but in terms of like an education for math i mean we can ask like paul hey paul what do you want to know do you still have in the future what do you want to know what do you know now where are you going to go with this and you don't we don't need to think of Math education is stopping after high school or after a university course ends. Mm -hmm. You take your last math course and then what? You never learn any more math? <laughs> no, you get to say, here's what I do know. Here's what I feel comfortable with. Here's what I want to know. And then you can set yourself a plan of how are you going to learn. Hmm. That can be like any, any, any learning pattern can follow that though, Absolutely. right? Any, because yeah. I think, I think that's super powerful because a lot of people only think that, Hey, I can learn this if I'm in university or I can only do this mm -hmm. if I'm in act like, no, really like, yes, it's probably a better, you know, mode of, cause I can, I guess they're like, you know, you have deadlines, you have they like, they're legitimately teaching you. It's not on your own time. You know, like there are a lot more restrictions obviously and pros and cons to both, but like having the whole system put onto like you don't necessarily need a university to learn yes right yeah. is the point of course is basically you can point. learn on youtube we should provide <laughs> a lot of resources yeah but there are a lot a lot of options of learning other things about math so is that what you want to do with like oh, your boy. career is just don't to, ask me about to change i should have pre-interviewed this <laughs> i don't know um what i'm finding out is i there are a lot of institutional issues where I can't do the best teaching because I must, like yeah. I say, I'm, I don't want to give grades. I must give grades. Yeah. If I'm going to get paid for the course, I have to submit grades. Yeah. So, so, yeah, I mean, the change has to be, it can't come from one person, basically. It has to come from, well, I guess it could, the system, at the very top. Yeah, you know? the system, no, but the system needs to be like, okay, yeah. this makes more sense. You know, like the whole, it, it can't just be, it can't just be like, or, or it can also be one university that adopts a system like this. 
you know, that then changes. They're like, oh, shoot. That's still a tall order, they're, though. No, but that happens <laughs> For, so many times where, like, oh, they do it this way. You're like, oh, shoot, they're doing a really good job. Maybe we should do this, too. Yeah. Like in Finland or Sweden or something. Yeah. Yeah, like, that's that's the idea. Also, I yeah, I was I was doing some se- severe research. So Severe. <laughs> severe in the last five minutes. But, okay, so there is a very different education system there. I don't think it's no grades, but it is a severe lack of them. Like, there's no homework or there's a lack of homework over there. And the way that they mainly... Per- like they mainly push their kids not to go to school for grades. Like I can even, I can even like, I can link this whole article, but like they push their kids not for grades, but just to go there and learn, which is very similar to what you were saying. Like you're Mm -hmm. just going at the end of the day to know more than what you went in with. Right. Which is, I mean, at the end of the day, the goal is cool. Is it not just to learn more, just to keep your mind always activated and to know what you want to do in the future. Right. Yeah. I think so. Always, always activating. So that was very, I guess not a tangent. I guess I was still talking about it, but like a little interesting on uh, on the on the university life a little bit. What about like the postdoc life, just personal a little bit? Because I I know, or not the not even the postdoc, but even just the doctorate, and sure. then moving so, on to the so my PhD, postdoc is really cool. Um, I did twice. I so. My undergrad, I said I went from engineering, I switched into math. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a very interesting choice because engineering, I would think, very, like, you would like a different stream because engineering is, like, very hands-on, right? Absolutely. And then math I mean, is I just... went to university going, I want to do hands-on stuff. Yeah, I like building things, yeah. I like making stuff. 180, right? This is what I want to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I found out it was a lot of business-related things. Engineering? And a lot of... Business. Absolutely. Really? Yes. I didn't know that. <laughs> that a lot of the work is selling the product oh um, in engineering produce, absolutely wow and that well quite a lot of university research is paid for by military weapons people who want to build better materials to do destructive things mm-hmm. and i said i will have no part in this and so i dropped out of engineering but i didn't have anywhere to go mm. and i moved around i thought i would do um, applied chemistry. I thought I would do some applied math because I like computer science-y things. And I took a course on mathematical problem solving that was open for basically anyone. There was a science credit, but didn't have any prerequisites. The math that I had taken, uh, you'll be familiar with these. It was like equivalent of like 135, or actually like the engineering math. Like first year calculus. And like yeah. 235. Second year yeah. calculus. A second year calculus, but like no proofs. I never wrote any proofs. Yeah. Um, I took that course and it really changed what I was going to do. I loved it. It was a lot of logic and just thinking about puzzles. We used this book by Paul Zeitz, The Art and Craft of Problem Solving. Highly recommend. It's amazing. Then I went, I'll just take all the math courses now. So in third year, I took 10 math courses. Wow. (laughs) Oh my. I just went, flip the switch, right? Do them all. In fourth year, more math courses. Wow. So just um, math, all math. Which I, one was your favorite? I went into it. Which one was my favorite? They're all time. I should all-time say number favorite. theory. Number theory. Oh, okay. <laughs> number theory sold me. I went, I'm very interested. So in num- n- number theory was a third, fourth year? Number fourth? theory is a third year. Third year course. And then more number theory came later. Yeah, I would like assume like number, year. like it would be specializing. You have a right, specialization fourth. type. Hmm. So, I mean, in, in, in all of this math, I mean... Maybe I should say what like, we must, number theory about. No, yeah, no, for sure, for sure. I mean, we're still, we're still dabbling in the education section. But one, uh, one thing, part of the podcast, obviously, the math and physics podcast. So the question has to be asked. 
Was there any physics courses? I took a physics first year. Engineering. Absolutely. No, it's no, engineering. but I'm saying any. Yeah. No, but engineer. It's, it's physics. physics. It's no, physics. I, yeah, it's taught by a physics. But, no, yeah. I guess. No, I guess so. But <laughs> what, what, when I'm saying physics courses, I'm saying like, okay, I guess. Okay, yes, yes. I guess. I guess engineering can be like classical physics. But I'm saying, did you take any like you know very th- like theoretical physics courses like thermodynamics or like um, no. or electromagnetic or no. electrodynamics? Any anything theoretical? Because mm-hmm. I don't. It's, under- it's interesting that you call those theoretical. No, because, because- when I think of okay. physics. I already think of it as very application based. So when I say theoretical, I'm just like, okay, what can be used on paper versus what can be done in person? And when I think of application based physics, I just think of engineering. I know that's not exactly true. I just, I, but that's just what my mind goes to. Mm-hmm. I just think of where can I apply the physics that I've learned when I'm making something, <laughs> you know, like that, like that's the way of my mind. And, and w- when can I apply the theory of what I learned anytime I'm doing anything on paper? So everything non-engineering in my head just goes into the theoretical physics part. What do you classify as theoretical physics? Was that, was it, would, would that not classify as Well, I'm not sure. So a lot of results from theoretical physics are secretly math results where I would say I do know some things about um, maybe quantum mechanics or maybe thermodynamics mm-hmm. um, as part of a teaching course that I'm taking. We go and observe other people. I went to see someone who was teaching a class specifically thermodynamics uh, for engineers, third-year engineers, and I understood what was going on in that course. But I understood because I have a math background. That I was just gonna say the math background probably helped you like if I know quite a lot. things about vector spaces, then I secretly also know about the specific vector space that they would care about in physics. Mm. I can see where in quantum mechanics you would probably just sit down in the class and understand everything. I don't. I hope. That's I think not true. so. No, I think you would though, because a lot of a lot of that level of quantum mechanics and a lot of higher level physics is based in forms of linear algebra, right? And like understanding like vector spaces and you know like metric spaces in general, you know fields like the quantum field is literally one of the or the gravitational field is like yeah, one of I our think most. Yeah, not a field, right? That's my understanding. No, but the gravity. Well, well, we still we still represent it as a metric field, though, as like the metric tensor. Even even in because technically the gravitational field is not a field, but the only way to actually deduce how the space curves around stuff is by measuring the metric tensor, is by measuring stuff with the gravitational field. Okay. So usually there's still fields on top, but like the whole foundation of math would I would assume be super crazy in any physics course because you would have at least like the fundamentals understood. That's true. Right? That's very true. Right? Don't you think so? I don't know. I think I so. I guess no, the no, no, for sure. No, I, I, I definitely think you sit in a quantum mechanics class, you'll be like, huh, okay. Yeah. Like I follow it. Maybe like I, maybe the physics, you know, but like you follow the math, like how the how yeah. one state evolves to the next, for example, is all just transformations in algebra that you would, you know, totally just know what to do for. I would assume mm-hmm. even have a better understanding than some physicists. In a lot of yeah, because one of like I'm taking physics three five six right now, which is quantum one technically, because last year was intro to quantum, and our like the second unit was just all pretty much linear algebra, 
but in Dirac notation. And so, but it was I learned recently is backwards. Yes. (laughs) Um, So it's if you already know all of the things that we're learning in linear algebra right now, it's just it's just new notation, but it's all the same stuff. No, because Parker was even talking. I mean, we, we talk a lot about the classes we do together and stuff. And he was talking to me about how two, two, like the linear algebra course like perfectly fills in with this third year quantum mechanics and like all the relationships between both the classes. So like definitely a mathematics background would help in any real form of physics, I would think. Right? Yeah. Also, it's kind of surprising because when we were in first year, we were learning math from our physics courses more math before before we learned them in math and so that was very backwards like we learned integrating and stuff like or at least not learned but like whoever hadn't taken like the 137 because the integrating was in the second semester like in the very first semester of physics we were already thrown into like some integrating concepts and stuff yeah people are like okay i guess we're doing (laughs) this now yeah like that was just something we had to do i also had this experience yeah yeah (laughs) no very very similar (laughs) Uh, very similar and it's very much a part of like the education thing of like we need to certify that someone can do a certain thing mm-hmm. and to do this um, solve problems in physics you need to know how to integrate something mm-hmm. and for a mathematician to integrate something you need to understand the definitions first mm-hmm. so we don't want to put it first term yeah mm-hmm. that's true but if you don't you can't do any problems in physics so then they just say Here's how you do this in physics, and then you're like, "Oh, I'll go watch some YouTube videos and." I guess figure that's out a lot of. The, I guess figuring out is a lot of because in, in your in your in your doctorate experience, I, I I don't believe we've actually gone through the doctorate experience. Yeah, let's. Okay. Yeah, so in, yeah. in your doctorate Let experience, did you go through one first? What do we know about number theory? So and how can you find out? More? Did you do your doctorate in number theory? Yes. Okay. Okay. Go for it. Okay, I'm very excited. What uh, is? What is number what theory? Is it? What is number theory? I don't know. Theory of numbers. Theory of numbers, yeah. Which numbers? <laughs> because numbers are so... The, the weird thing about number theory, in my opinion, again, not, no knowledge here, but just my understanding of it. Numbers are the most obvious thing when people think of math. What's math? Numbers. Even though that's not at all what it is, that's what people think of. So you say something like number theory, you're like, oh my God, this is like the most important thing in math. Like that's... And it is. And oh, it is. Okay, so okay. you got to know that. So you got to know that. <laughs> Is that opinion or just fact? Because that, like, number you're, you're a number theorist. Like, so I think I should make an argument it, for it. A little okay. bias. Okay. It's a little sure. bias opinion, but sure. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> numbers. The numbers that we care about are natural numbers. We want the counting numbers. And maybe we want zero. And maybe we also want integers. So we want things like, what is going on with the numbers 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and maybe like minus 1, minus 2, minus 3, minus 4, whatever. So not like the reals, we're just dealing we with the... We do not care at all. You don't care numbers. about That's rational numbers? So rationals are like friends of natural numbers. Yeah. That sometimes but, to figure out something about natural numbers, it's easier for us to work with rationals. Because rationals form a field, which means we can divide. We can't divide by natural numbers and stay inside the world of natural numbers. Same reason that we want to look at integers. Integers let us subtract. Hmm. So we can subtract two integers, we get another integer. We can't subtract natural numbers and get another natural number. So Wait, what? Why? What's it? Like one minus five. You're no longer a natural number. Yeah, but it's the general. Oh, the general. Okay, you're saying generally. Okay, okay, cool, Mm -hmm. cool. Of course. Yeah, we want something that always works for us. General, yeah. So then we try to figure out, like, what are some properties of natural numbers? Well, the best place to find more about natural numbers 
And that's brilliant. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Brilliant. If you liked all the stuff we're talking about on the podcast today, you will definitely like the courses that they have to offer, ranging from stuff like linear algebra all the way to number theory. They have quite an abundance of courses, especially in the coming months. They did install a lot of interactivity with their new math modules. So if you want to learn, if you want to challenge yourself, Brilliant's always a great way to do it. They've been a long supporter for us, so you already know we love to use it. So if you want to use Brilliant, go check out brilliant.org MPP for a 20% discount on your premium subscription for the first 200 people that click the link in the description below. Now back to the podcast. Yeah, just continue. You just do it later? Okay, yeah, we're yeah. just going to so, do it later. So let me pretend you did the whatever, like... Okay, let me pick this up. So the the brilliant problem of the day for today was in number theory was to take the numbers one times two times three times four times five and figure out what's the last digit of this. We stop at nine. So multiply all the numbers one up to nine. What's the last digit? I want you to tell me how you figured it out. So we started just... Well, I started just actually multiplying them in my head and seeing what happens. And I noticed that they were all even. So I first made the guess that all the, or that the last digit was going to be an even mm. number. Similar, similar. I, I thought, hey, there are four evens. There's, well, any number of odds. And I know that odd times odd makes odd. And we know that any other combination of odd and even, even, even make odd. I mean, make even. So we have a bunch of evens that make an even. We have a bunch of odds, so at the end of the day, we have an odd times an even, which will end us up with an even. So I think we were both on the same page, and we're like, okay, we know it's even. After a little but bit of guidance, was, yeah, <laughs> we I, found I, that two and five were both present could be separated from the rest, and then it's like, oh, it's just some number times ten, and then we're like, any number times ten is gonna have zero as the last digit. And that was our way of thinking. Yeah, but de de definitely guidance was your, required. Your way of thinking is brilliant. That's great. It's it brilliant. Works. It's brilliant. I love your pun. <laughs> we want to know what's the last digit so we care about what's the remainder when we divide by 10. And oh, yeah. Yeah. a mm -hmm. thing that we study a lot in number theory is can we figure out what's happening with natural numbers by looking at just the remainder when we divide by something small? Because there's so many natural numbers. <laughs> there's such a huge amount of them. We can't write them all down. We need to figure out some patterns. So we look at small cases. We seem like, okay, what happens? One times two times three, I'm always getting something even. Is it always gonna be even? And then we figure out some reason why that conjecture is true. That's such a cool way of thinking. I love this way of thinking. Yeah. And so Ray tells us, look, the only way you can get an odd by multiplying numbers is if they're all odd. Mm. So if one of them's even, you multiply them together, it has to be even. Yeah. That's our proof. Yeah. Now we're doing math. We start with some little puzzle. We try some small cases. We make a conjecture. I think it's always going to be even. Hmm. We come up with a proof. Why is it always even? And now we know. We narrowed yeah, it down. It's going to do. be even. It has to be. It's going to be even. It has I, th to be even. I think my proof would be to just say, just take the two out and be like, this thing is something times two. 
And that's then, cool. that's actually oh hey that's actually then, a really yeah, nice way to then, think about it too because yeah. I, I was thinking when you said take out the five and two i was thinking why can't you take out literally yeah like literally any anything two? <laughs> and you can say very similar things about the other ones too right we can take a bunch of them out yeah so let me do a little follow-up on this one what do you think the sum of the digits is for this number if i take one times two times three all the way up to nine it has a bunch of digits in it. oh if I add them all up individually, I get something. If I keep doing this process, if I take mm-hmm. any natural number, I add up all the digits, I get another natural number, it's smaller. Mm-hmm. So I do it again, it gets smaller again. At this stage, if you're, doing, if you're a mathematician, you ask, why is it always smaller? And then you can give a proof. I think that's a pretty straightforward <laughs> proof. Uh-huh. Is it actually? No, I don't know if it's a straightforward proof. It's a straightforward way of thinking that it's smaller. Yeah. Sure. Like, it's pretty obvious, but I guess the So we proof... should conjecture it's smaller. Yeah. It's we smaller. Can, yeah, well, I think yeah. we can say that. I'll let you know it's true, but come up with yeah, a reason okay. why. Um, <laughs> so eventually you get down to just a single digit number. What single digit number do you think you get from this? Is it the same every time? Oh, no, wait. No. Oh, I've heard it's like nine or something no. for some reason no no no, no, no. no that's not true though because you can take you can Any take 14 number. or 13 <laughs> 12 like so many counter okay. i heard there's a lot of numbers that go to nine for some reason it's probably some conspiracy garbage it, yeah it probably, yeah, is. Is. <laughs> <laughs> probably is. okay no realistically though so you said and keep adding up the numbers until it gives you some one yeah. number let's do a little baby example wait would it would it can you describe that would it, number? Yeah, would it not depend on the properties yeah, of the would, number that you start with? Sure. So the number that we start with is going to be 1 times 2 times 3. <laughs> oh, times oh that, yeah, one that one specifically. Nine, 9 factorial. That's oh, our number. Okay. What number do you think you get then? Um, I have no idea. I don't know how to start. Like maybe if we like really sat down, I don't even I don't even know how to. Really how would you start, start without you know? actually like? No, no, like there's definitely is. no, no, because I mean it's a pattern, bro. Like it's obviously I, a pattern. Like you just have to just put down a few numbers on. Like we're not gonna do it now, but I'm saying put down a few numbers on paper. Yeah, and I think if we can start, we can we can see some kind of pattern, like one two three, one two two, one five six, in random numbers, and just see if that gives you anything, you know, I'm okay. just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just spitballing here for random numbers, but okay. so it starts one and then two and then one times two times three is six. Great. Six, still six. Then 24. Now we have a two digit number. Gives you six again. Gives us six again. Any conjecture so far? Always six? No, always even so far. Always even. Except for one, but yeah. Yeah. I multiply by five, I get 120, and that gives me one plus two plus zero. Oh, no three. longer. Odd uh, number. Now there's just no pattern. There's no pattern. We're going to be in trouble. Uh, they're factors of 12. They're all factors of 12. Or six. Mm. Or three. Why, why would you say 12? You always go to the lowest. I, three. No. I mean, you can, they're still. They're all valid still are, but right? don't, don't start with the highest. I mean, if know? the next one is four, then okay. I'm in the money. Yeah. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Let's you're look right. at the next one. So the next one, 720. Six factorial oh, gives us nine. nine. Seven plus two plus zero plus is three. nine. So something to do with three. No, but then two and one. Oh, wait. This is, I feel like this is following like some kind of like remainder thing. Because it, it's like increasing to a certain level and then goes down. And then I feel like it's going to go up. And then I feel like the next one obviously is going to be lower than nine. Cause okay, so conjecture. The next one is lower than nine. Yeah. Cause and everybody watching on YouTube, 
Go put and calculate. Go and calculate. Put it down oh, in the yeah, comments. One, no, two, what do you three, think? Four, five, six, seven factorial. You can go calculate what's seven factorial. I'm going to try to do it real fast. I got 5,040. Well, you just did that. Wow. Five plus zero <laughs> plus four plus zero is nine. Oh. Didn't you, go down. No, it didn't. <laughs> okay. So. But we can disprove this counter. We, we can disprove a conjecture, right? We find some other example. Yeah, we disproving thought, is light. Is is, yeah. is very easy. Just From one nine, it's going to go down. It didn't go down. So we just disproved. That's right. I'm seeing zero pattern, but they're all divisible by three, except for the first two. Except for the first two, they're all divisible by three. That's a conjecture. Yeah. Can we show they're always divisible by three? So assume. Wait, you told us before we started a trick that you've used. Mm. Oh. The divisible by three, yeah. you just well yeah well you're supposed to add up all the numbers and then if it if the sum is divisible by three, then the number is divisible by three. Okay, but, so we add up all the digits. If the sum is divisible by three, the number is divisible by three. There's no way that's true for all. What? For all, if you just keep going, eventually you're gonna sum to something that's not divisible by three. No, if if you have any <clears throat> number and you add their things. And no, 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 I'm not saying continuously add. I'm saying you add it one time. Wait, I what? know, but I'm saying in our case, yeah, 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 that's I'm saying in our case, we're eventually going to stumble upon a really long number that at some point when you add the digits, it's not going to be divisible by three. No, at some it's, point, it's literally a rule that I learned in school. No, it's, it's like, a I'm theorem. not, no, I'm saying what you're saying is true. Okay. I'm saying what in our case, mm. you're going to get some random number. It's going to be. For example, one, two, five. Oh, like you're saying we're gonna and get one number here. Yeah, that's and that's not three. gonna add to oh, something okay. that's divisible well, by that three. That ruins your conjecture. Then that's your your whole conjecture was that. Yeah, I know. One of the numbers are all the numbers are. Gonna I know, be but I'm saying it's not gonna be true for like a following number. Are these numbers all gonna be divisible by three? In the future. Like, if we want to use Ray's rule, we need to know. Is the number divisible by three or not? But for that, we would have to know the whole thing that we were talking about in the first yeah. place. How do you know? How do you add? How do you know the sum of the digits? Well, how do you know if a number is divisible by three? Because here we are in number theory again. Here's a really important concept. We have unique prime factorization. If I take any natural number, I can write down its prime factors. Mm-hmm. And that tells me everything about the divisibility of that number. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You took one times two times three, and you said there's a two in there, so it must be even. Mm -hmm. But does that tell you anything about the divisibility of the sum of its digits? Well, let's chase this one down. <laughs> I, I think that's the whole. I, I think, think it does, whole, maybe. <laughs> I think that's the whole. So we have this one piece. Okay, I, I'm not done with this. Are these all multiples of three? So far. Will they continue to be multiples of three? Here's my conjecture. They're always multiples of three after two factorial. So three factorial, four factorial, five factorial, six factorial, all multiples of three. Wait, literally. One minute, one minute. Isn't, isn't, it that, is, is, isn't that like super obvious though? Because you can just take out everything no, and just give it three on the No, this is the sum. This is the sum. You sum the you're digits saying, first. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You you're, you're, you're talking about the connected. sum right now. You're not, yeah. no, no, no. But, oh yeah, you're talking about just, the sum. You're talking about the sum. Just the product. 
Oh, it's a product always divisible by two. Wait, we just oh no, wait just no, wait, no, no 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 we just stumbled onto exactly what you were saying. You said if a number is divisible by three, then it's the sum of the digits <laughs> is also divisible by three. Yeah, but we but already exactly know it's divisible by oh, three. Oh yeah, we already know it's divisible by three. <laughs> so what we gotta see it. We already it's know. By three. Oh my god, this is <laughs> yeah. isn't that stupid? This no, is it's no, funny. No, it's funny that we realize right now. The realization. I also want to say like. Everything's obvious after you've thought. Of yeah, it. yeah. That's so true. That's so yeah. true. Right? Yeah, no. A thing that I love in math is these aha moments of something where you can go, and the light yeah. bulb turns on, and you're like, oh, yeah. now I get it. <laughs> no, that's yeah. so obvious. No, yeah, no, I guess, yeah. I guess, yeah, because we're literally, literally said saying it the that. whole we're time. We're literally saying that the whole time. So if the product is a multiple of three, then the sum of the digits is a multiple of three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. And then you can sum the digits again. And you can do it again. So whatever this last number you get is, it has to be a multiple oh, of three. We only have four choices. No, three. Wait, so is that is that like some fundamental property? Yeah. I actually saw proof that that like thing was true. That the sum, if it's divisible by three, then the sum is also divisible by three. How did it go? I forget. It was a, <laughs> lo- it was a long time ago. But w- w- what he did is he went through like how to check if something is divisible by two. That's pretty easy, but then when you get to like seven and and four and three, he showed like seven proofs for for why it's true. Yeah. Seven, I yeah, can no, what the hell? There's a rule. It's hard though. Like it's, seven, uh, it's I hard. Sw- no because I remember like because I, I I had my like my initial education in India and we had like all these tips and tricks for like math multiplications, and I think I swear seven was like the only one where we didn't have a tip and trick. That's probably I true. think I think seven was there is the one only though. one. There is one. There's like a trick. Yeah, there is. To find if any number is divisible by seven. Yeah. Really? Shoot. Well, I'll find it. We didn't learn it. I can link you a little graph. You where you chase the graph around and it tells you if it's a multiple of seven or not. Based oh, wait. on the digits. Really? I'll send it to you. That sounds very interesting. Um, but yeah, seven is special. And in number theory, we want to look at things like this. Like, how come? Yeah, this is a really cool number theory How come seven question. doesn't have a nice rule? Mm. How come these other numbers do have a nice rule? Mm. Like, Seven's always been a little bit of an outsider. It's always been. I would look at this pattern of the sum of the digits is a multiple of three means the original was a multiple of three and go, why? What's the property of numbers that's making that happen? So number theory, we just look at properties of numbers. Yeah, because three, yeah, no, I can definitely, I think the fact that we've been through proof courses and like rigor courses mm. is getting our brains thinking in such a level like like synonymous with like this level of, you know, like like thinking, like having questions mm. like this. Because I see a lot, of, a lot of our friends who haven't taken proof related courses don't even think like this. Like, you know, you have a question on the board or like the professor shows you something and you're like, okay. But we're like, no, wait, wait, wait. Why does that make sense? You know, a lot of times I see this and then like simple things like this, I can see just a simple mm-hmm. difference in people who have taken. And we say this so many times to all of our listeners, like keep, like if you have a proof course that you can take, take it. Because it just gets your brain thinking in this way, mm-hmm. which is so different. And I think you can do opinion. it with a lot of stuff. Like I was talking about these puzzle books when I'm a child. Mm-hmm. Anything where you have something where you can look at patterns and you can ask why is that happening can help you with this. Just get in the habit of asking why. <laughs> why is such a physics question? 
But I, I guess mean, you can also it's translate a, it. It's, a, it's also a question, for it's a question for literally it's a scholarly anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It is. A scholarly question is the right way yeah. to say it. A very powerful question, but clearly, I mean, it's what all mathematicians get to where they are. Right? So, yeah. So, continuing on I number theory. I think it's theory. how a lot of yeah. academics get where they are. Mm. We want to do asking, some research. Asking more. We want to ask, why is that the case? Like, this is coming up in math education as well. I want to know, mm -hmm. why... Do we have tests? Hmm. Interesting. Why and then do we, we have, have to that? dig into, yeah. we need to collect some data. Hmm. We need to look at some small cases. We need to figure out some patterns and then make some decisions hmm. based on that. I mean, the same way that like technology evolves over time and we look back and we're like, how, why did they do it this way? And okay, I'm glad we're doing it this way now. I think education is going to get there at some point. It might take a long time. <laughs> but I think someday there's going to be like a way better way of doing things. I mean, people are asking now. Yeah, they're at, exactly. Right. The questions are being asked. But when it's actually going to happen, it's going to be like, oh, obviously we should have been doing it this way the whole time. Do you think that we're going to be we're going to be forming a new way of doing math though. Because I think when you say like new way, I can definitely see like, you know, forms of science being assisted with new forms of science. But math, again, you can correct me if I'm wrong, is like, is so fundamental that like the thoughts, like ever since like the 15th century and even before, are still basically being carried on, are they not? Or is just the way... No, no, no I'm just wrong. We have radically changed <laughs> okay, how we think about mathematics. Never mind. Oh, never well, mind. think about the, the Veritasium exactly video. Exactly the video I was out. thinking of right now. Because there's a... Uh, I don't know, but... Uh, so it's a very famous YouTuber, Veritasium. Um, also, very recently dropped a video where he talks about how mathematicians... Uh, the original invention of the imaginary number to solve cubics. Cardano's formula, to, sure. Yeah, yeah. formula to form, to form cubics. Yeah. And that video basically not only took you through the, like through the math of it, but also through the history of math. Mm -hmm. And in that, we kind of saw like the way that people were thinking about it. And I'm just thinking, yeah, obviously it's a different way of thinking, but like the fundamentals are still there. Like the way that they no, thought I, I about think, like a cube. But I think the... The way that we think about a cube is still changing today. Oh, in what way? Wow. Shoot. That's crazy. <laughs> this is going to come back to number theory. Yeah. But I want to say... In this course that I'm teaching right now, it's a vector space course. and we give Linear algebra, second year linear algebra. Second year linear yeah. algebra. Yeah. And we give axioms for a vector space. Like, what does it mean to be a vector space? That's powerful. Mm -hmm. Those axioms were first written down in 1888. Really? This is very new. Mm. Wow, that's actually... <laughs> this that's sort great. of method, like axiomatic method of thinking, all of your definitions from analysis are from like late 1800s, early 1900s. Mm. Everything about calculus with epsilon delta is very new. Mm. We have even more modern new things. But that makes sense because I think that is a lot to do with interpreting the problem. Because I think, I think, I think maybe the point you're trying to get at again, correct me if I'm wrong, if, if, if I'm wrong but um, like not the fundamental has changed, but the way of interpreting it. Has changed, or I would say literally the literally the fundamental wow. change. Yes. Okay, never mind. One the thing, idea I'm just wrong. <laughs> axiomatically defining objects. Um, this is something that is sort of done in Euclid's geometry textbook, mm. but was not really because I would out. think something like epsilon delta is so is like 
Okay, it's literally just a limit, or no, I don't even think limits was a Isaac Newton thing. It was just integrals, straight integrals. What's an easy way to understand derivatives? Okay, limits. Let's create that. Let's easier way to understand that epsilon delta. So again, my thought would be the way that we, you know, are advancing with math, are interpreting it in a better way, or are we creating new fields as well as we're going on? Because I don't know, really. With I guess of course, if, of course, I of guess course, because I'm just so wrapped up in my world of physics. But I guess yeah, of course, it would apply to math as well. Yeah. Like new fields all constantly evolving. I'm assuming yeah. So that would be like ever changing, and like your interpretation of that would also change over time. Absolutely. I think the 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 reason why I thought of the video was because he said that like when this whole uh, cubing problem was happening they haven't they hadn't even had like the modern algebraic notation it was yet. all words it was a it was word problem it was literally words it <laughs> so, was just writing down so math like, words. which now this is the thing to make a distinction of in europe they were not using modern oh, algebraic europe. notation but in western asia they absolutely oh. were using algebraic notation wait really this wow. is where algebra comes wow. from oh I did not know this. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wait, okay. Western Asia? So Western Asia started... Some... So in India, pretty much. Well, yeah. Like... I mean, regions of India, yeah. Persia. Mm -hmm. Wow. Absolutely. I would think oh, who are the famous guys in that region, man. I don't know. This is a problem, right? You don't know. Yeah, yeah. So and this should be so much more in the history of mathematics mm -hmm. that we do not just hear about European mathematicians and what did some white guy do with something yeah. that he yeah. took. Yeah. yeah, a lot of it is stolen. Them, a lot of it is them, stolen. Man. Like literally, like so many of them. You know about Fibonacci numbers? Yeah. Do you know? Oh no, Fibonacci no, no, just no. stole the whole textbook. No, no, no I didn't know that. From <laughs> Africans? No. Who were using books from India? No. <laughs> what? Your your Fibonacci numbers should really be called Pingala numbers. There's no way. Or maybe Hemachandra numbers. Hemachandra wrote a textbook that explained a lot of properties of Fibonacci numbers of this sequence um, 50 years before Fibonacci was born. There's no mm. way. That's so sad to hear. No, that's good to know, though. No, it's no good way. to know. Good I'm to saying know. it's so sad to hear that, you know, big names like that did that Absolutely. like the thomas edison thing when i first found out that, that whole thing was just like a it was just like some fancy patent bull like some some stuff that he did i'm like come on that's how you get your name i think here's another place where you should be asking why yeah like why are these the people who we know about yeah why I have we heard about i never even thought of that and leibniz and why have we not heard about all other mathematicians yeah. in the world yeah yeah very concentrated to a few well, I think Newton, Newton's okay, Newton is at a world. He difference. did a lot of stuff. Newton is different, though. Newton is different. Also, I got Leibniz. bad news for you about Newton. No, 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 no. no. There's no way. This There's is no gonna... way you have bad news about Newton. Maybe it's a different podcast. Wait, no, no, wait, I need to know this now. We briefly. need to know this. Oh, so Newton, Newton would never have shared his work on calculus if other if Leibniz was not publishing his work on calculus. Hmm. Um. Newton had written a lot and refused to show anyone anything. He used his results to show off, to solve sort of contest problems of the time. Oh, but just he have the upper did not hands. tell anyone how he was doing any of wow. it. He was not at all interested in teaching and learning and research in math. He was interested in prestige. He had himself appointed the president of 
the Royal Society of London and England, mm -hmm. the people who are sort of decide which things are scientific results that are notable. Um, and when he found out that Leibniz was publishing things about calculus, he published his own work that he had planned to keep hidden, maybe forever, we don't know, but mm -hmm. he had no plans to publish it. Wow. So he published this book, Principia, and then he asked anonymously for the Royal Society to make a decision about who invented calculus. No way this guy was that. And no. then as the president oh of the Royal Society, he, gave he it wrote to the decision that said it was Newton. This. <laughs> oh, my God. So this result, no. this happening. No way, man. Now you might go, okay, Leibniz, maybe he didn't care. Leibniz basically like lost his job over this. Wow. He had been appointed by the king to do like math-related things. Mm -hmm. That guy found out that... He did not deserve credit for this thing that Newton was hiding, that Newton had credit for it officially from the Royal Society. And so he took away his patronage and Leibniz no longer had a job. Wow. No but this guy it could that. be true, though, that Newton did it first. Newton absolutely did do it first. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, I, I don't think that's what's the thing. No, but the, the, the problem is that he did yeah, keep it Yeah, that he did that. Yeah. yeah. Right. Oh, and yeah. then follow-up problems <laughs> follow of, up. like, starting fights with the people over it. Right, that wow. he did not need to have this big dispute about who invented calculus. He could say, "Here's my version. Look at the other version. They're all good. They help mm -hmm. us. They all help us out with learning math." Yeah. But he said, "No, I want, I want the prestige." Mm. And I don't know. He puts a so my way is the best Newton. way to do it. Damn, that's not very, that's not very glorious. No, not a very glorious Newton ending. Well, destroying some of our some of our legends in our heads. Yeah, Thank I you got for that. Feynman up next. <laughs> no! Oh, no, 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 no. There's no way. There's no way. Feynman. Okay. There's no we way. Just, we, no, 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 no. We have to hear happening. this. We have to hear this. No, no there's no this. way. You should put it somewhere else. All right. But Feynman. Feynman killed it, a lot of people. What? <laughs> okay, you're not. I mean, Feynman not, worked on the nuclear bomb, killed. right? Okay, oh, well, yeah. okay. In that way, in that way. Developing weapons for military to use on people. But if you think about like the whole military bomb thing, like the whole like that would have happened regardless, in my opinion, because that's not because like the whole I mean, nuclear energy would have been would have been discovered one day. According to the physicists who worked on the problem, they were the only ones in the world who could do it. Well, eventually, even if they didn't do it, maybe I guess. Yeah, you can never say you can never that. tell. You can never really say that. I, I guess. What we know is that they did do it. Yeah. And what the effects were of that. Mm. But also, Feynman just in his personal life is a no. He, he yeah, yeah, no. He was definitely like, a pretty wacky no guy. That we should know like, about this guy. He's not like mm. yeah. I I know like a funny. He used to play bongos at a strip club. I love talking about that. <laughs> just a funny <laughs> thing about just a funny thing about Richard oh, Feynman. So why are why are these our go to? Why are the yes? Why are these why our, our go to people? Yeah. The guys who are misogynists and tall and white. How come? How mm. come all of these guys? What do they have in common? Anyways, that's in the in the in the math education world. We want to talk more about history of math. Mm. No, we want for to have sure. more people say, "Oh yeah, loads of people are doing math all the time mm -hmm. for different reasons. It does not necessarily have to look like this one way of doing it." And what can we learn from each other in this area? That's the level of math that you want, though. Mm. Like, not, unfortunately, always.
I mean, present. yeah, this is just what I try to spread to other people. Mm. That's beautiful, now, though. That's beautiful. Quick like, question. Who are the heroes of number theory? Who are the heroes of number theory? Um, I guess Euler. For sure. He's, so, he's a big one. Leonard Euler, he is a big one in that he made a lot of the questions about number theory. He solved a lot of the questions about number theory. Made and solved. And then he made it something, I guess he has had an effect on why do I think like number theory is the most important math field? That's why it. do you no, think? No, that's an interesting take. Yeah. So we have these like big structural things in math. We have the area of algebra. We have the area of analysis. We have a topology. We have geometry. And each of those sort of asks questions about themselves. They have like motivating problems and they provide sort of methods of solving problems. So you can think of like an analytic style of proof uses certain techniques and certain methods and maybe answers a question about analysis, but maybe answers a question about algebra. Mm -hmm. Then we have these fields of number theory and combinatorics. And combinatorics has a lot of techniques mm -hmm. and it has some of its, has some questions that are just combinatorial questions. But a lot of times the techniques are used to solve questions in other areas. Combinatorics is so useful. I'm also in statistics, so like combinatorics is like Absolutely. huge. Yeah. So <clears throat> huge. very, very useful things versus number theory. Number theory basically just comes up with problems. <laughs> it does not have techniques. It takes techniques from all the other fields. So it doesn't produce problems itself. Oh, it produces just... plenty of problems. Okay, okay. It does not no produce techniques. methods to solve methods problems. to solve them. It just uses the yeah. methods from already known stuff. So then, from like a meta analysis of if I looked at a society, a group of people who were studying a bunch of things, and some of them create and solve their own problems, and some of them just create problems and get solutions from other areas. To me, that means the people who are studying algebra and analysis and topology and geometry are also interested in number theory because they are applying mm. their techniques to answer number right. theory questions. The rivers are flowing Everything into, flows into number, number theory. theory. Yeah. So okay. nice. I look at number theory and I go, it has a lot of interesting questions. Why are the primes doing what they're doing? Yeah. It does not give me answers. And to get some answers, I go to maybe analysis. So we were talking about what are different prime numbers. Maybe we'll talk about like what, what makes a number a prime. Mm -hmm. that, yeah, but that, we started that's with, very deep. We can have this list of prime numbers, right? You gave me mm -hmm. 2, 3, 5, 7, 11, 13, 17, 23, 29, 31, 37. We, looked, we did a little conjecturing. They're mostly odd after two. They're all odd. Yeah. So I want to know, related to like, if I look at remainders when I divide by 10, I learn about the last digit. Here, if I look at remainders when I divide by 2, I learn even or odd. We know they all have the same remainder when we divide by 2. Mm. So what about 2 to the 2? What if I divide by 4? Oh, is that why you asked? Oh, because you took the power. Oh, that's an interesting. Okay. Okay, now, now I actually get why you asked that. Or, uh -huh. Okay, okay. 
So for cool. me, like the structure of natural numbers, they all have unique factorization. So I can think of them as being made up of primes. Mm. So the number two is the number two is just two. It's a, it's right, a prime. Right. Mm. The number four is really yeah, two two twos. twos. Right. So every number you just look at its decomposition and you say like, what are the into groupings? Your primes, into your primes. Or the different groupings of. No, I remember numbers. like prime factorization in like some yeah. young grade. Where like we had to do and you have to represent it in terms of like the exponentials of the primes. Yeah. It's like two to whatever, three to whatever. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But here's an interesting question. Why do we care about primes in base 10? Like what about different bases? That's super cool. I would. Yeah. That's super. So a prime doesn't know about a base. It's prime in every base. Can you talk a little bit? I don't know if everyone knows. Just what a base is. What's the difference between base 10 and 12, for example? Sure. No, just a little yeah. bit. for. Yeah. Yeah. So when we write down an integer we're usually writing digits and intrinsic in this is that they are base 10. Mm -hmm. um, when i write down 124 to mean 124 i'm saying i have one 10 squared i have two tens and i have four 10 to the zeros mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then if I write down any number, you can I can think of the units down. thing as being 10 to the zero. Mm -hmm. I can think of the next digit up as being 10. And then just the next up. digit as being 10 squared, 10 cubed, 10 to the four, however big I want. We didn't have to pick the number 10. We can pick a different number as a base. So we can write something like base two. You might be familiar with binary. There, the, the unit digit. Ooh is a two to the zero, and then a two to the one, and then a two to the two, and then a two to the three. Mm -hmm. So the number, so let me write down like one, one, zero, one in binary would mean I have one, two to the three, I have one, two to the two, I have zero, two to the ones, mm -hmm. and I have one, two to the zero. Yeah, adding numbers like this is so weird. <laughs> when and you're then if I put them all together, I get Eight plus four plus yeah. one, so that number was really thirteen. Yeah, that's just because we're not used to thinking in that yeah. way. So of course. when we see thirteen, we think of thirteen, but when we see that number, we do right. We can't one one do zero right one doesn't look like thirteen yeah. to me. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah, um, it's a different representation of this number, and whatever base we choose, the representations will look different. But that number thirteen will be a prime no matter what, because. So what do we mean by primes? <laughs> what is a prime? We were trying to come up with a <laughs> yeah. definition and it turned out to be a little tricky. Yeah. The best way I think we came up with it is... Well, so it's I'm, an integer, first of all. Yeah, well, first or of all... a natural number. It's a natural, it's a natural number, number that is divisible by one itself. That one in itself. We know, like, that's like the... It has one no other itself. prime no other, factors. Well, yeah, so it's only divisible by one or in itself. I guess I can't use the definition of prime. In, in the, the prime, no. In the, so it's, div it's divisible by one in itself. And that's it. And it's natural. And what do mm. we mean by divisible? We, um, divisible? No, divisible as in it, it's an integer number of divisibility. Like it's not, there's no, there's no, there's no remainder. There's no remainder. That's, that's, that's the way to say it. That's the way to say it. There's no remainder after the And also, we're not talking about negative numbers. We're you, not you can't, dividing You can't negatives. factor negatives out yes. of that number. Okay. Because like the minus plus one goes to, yeah. Yeah. 
So my pitch is going to be, there's a lot of ways we can think about primes. And I love this one of, there's only, you can't divide it by any other number. That you can divide it by one, or you can divide it by itself, and you can't divide by anything else. So I'm going to say, that's a perfectly good definition of a prime. We can have it. If we talk about divisibility, it doesn't matter what base we refer to, right? So you gave a definition. You never said we have to write it down in a certain base. Right. If we have a definition that doesn't depend on the base, that means those numbers with that property does not depend on the base. Right. I would imagine, though, that... Okay, maybe not. Maybe my I'm just like intuitively thinking that a number in binary would have different factors, but that doesn't really make sense because it's all the same. It's like just yeah. How do you factor? It's a, a different way of saying the same thing. So you're just saying the same thing at the end of the day. Like, so no, that doesn't make sense. When you said, "What do you mean by a factor?" You never had to talk about the base. Yeah. Now, we did talk about a base when we were talking about the digits and adding them up and getting a multiple of three. Yeah. So somehow the base that we're writing in tells us things about divisibility by three or four or five or six. It's sort of confused about seven, uh, but it knows other divisibility rules. Mm -hmm. And those are just based on the base, right? I can't use the same thing to decide... Mm -hmm. Look, the number 1101 in binary, if I add up the digits, I get 3. Is it a multiple of 3? No. So we have this property. Certain things really do depend on a base. On, on the base. And how we write them down. In this case, though, there are only two digits. Or do you count 0 as a digit? In terms of... Is it because prime is you only... You base 2? In any base. Do you count 0 as a digit? Uh, yeah, 2 is a digit. So, oh yeah, okay. So I can put a zero in a number. Yeah, right? I have yeah, a number yeah. one hundred. That's a For one, sure. and then two zeros, <laughs> and it's different than the number one or the number. Yeah. Two. Um, so in base two, if you do this whole thing where we were adding the digits and then adding them again until you have a single digit, there's only two options. Sure. So. And in fact, I'm, for this number thirteen, I got zero. So I'm guessing it would be. Wait, do you have to? Oh yeah. You, you would have to add in binary. You have to add in <laughs> binary, yeah. <laughs> so, so I get 1 plus 1 plus 1, that's 3. Yeah. And then I write 3 in binary, that's 1, 1. Mm -hmm. And then I have a 1 plus 1, that's 2. And then I guess at this point, do I write oh. 2 in binary and I get 1, 0? In which case, I feel like every time we add up all the digits, we'll always end with a 1. Or, but you just ended with a 0. Well, I did a different trick. Oh. I was adding mod 2. Oh. Or I was adding as though we're in the field with two elements. Mm -hmm. um, so I think this process, and now here's a new conjecture. If I write down any binary number, I sum up the digits. I write that number in binary. I sum those digits. I write that number in binary. I always get one at the end. What about one, one? Okay, if I take 1, 1, 1 plus 1 is 2. I write 2 in binary. That's 1, 0. Oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, that makes sense. 
Well, it doesn't make sense. Because so no why? matter why, no, well, it doesn't no make matter. sense at all. No, no it like, does I make mean, no it makes sense now because that's the only like the case. Like, because if you start with three, then you're gonna you're gonna go down to two, and then right, and then above that, anything just goes down to two. Does it? How do we know we don't give it something else? Now, number theory is famous for these types of problems. <laughs> so it's very logical. Easy it's to very state. just. It's very easy to state, but <clears throat> it's it's a thought and a half. And like we can check with small numbers, right? Yeah, but you'll never. But there's always infinitely many numbers. Yeah. There's always so many numbers. You need to provide like a induction situation. You, you, I mean, we need something. Yeah. <laughs> we don't necessarily need an induction, but we need some reason why we believe it. And it needs to be airtight. Mm. That's the hard part. Mm. <laughs> so you've probably heard of the Colette's conjecture. Yes, this actually, no, I have heard of that. I do not know from where, but I I remember seeing the word. Okay, can, I don't know. I can't explain what it is, but I've heard of it. So you can take a natural number and do a certain process to it. If it's even, divided by two. If it's odd, multiply it by three, and then add. Oh, one. and then you see where it goes. And then you see where does it go? But and and then there's always like these loops. And like the, the conjecture is that every single number goes into this one loop where it's like one, six, three, four, something like that. Yeah. Absolutely. But we don't know if it's if there's one right. loop that's up there that just, just Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. No, that is crazy. Veritasium has a video on that actually. I think I yeah. think that's yeah. where yeah. I know it from. I think that's <laughs> yeah. where I know it from, actually. I think that's probably where I know it from. Explains it very well. So maybe I have some surprises up my sleeve. Oh, oh. did you solve it? <laughs> I know secret things about the Colette's conjecture. All right. I know if we generalize it, let's say we change the rules. Instead of divide by two or multiply by three, add one. We let ourselves say, okay, if the remainder is something mod five, then we can put five different rules for what to do. If it's a multiple of five, maybe we divide by five. If it's one more than a multiple of five, maybe I multiply by four and add one. Mm. I can pick some different rules. There are sets of numbers, we only need 12, where it's undecidable if every number goes to a loop or not. So this Colette's conjecture problem could be well, it's in a it's in, in a family of problems where we know some of them we will never know the answer to. And that's just the property we just can't know the answer to. We cannot know the answer. Oh. That's crazy. Is it cuz it's too general? There's just too many different rules you can assign. It's really built into the formalism of mathematics. And these are also relatively recent results when people started writing down axioms for deducing things, mathematical proofs in the early 1900s. We had questions about, can we answer every question? If someone gives you a statement, can you say for sure if it's true or mm. false? Isn't that, isn't, that, isn't that like a huge, I know this, we've already spoken, I've, I've already spoken about this, where like if, uh, like, oh no, this is this definitely a thing. It's like, a millennium problem, Yeah, I right? think it's, isn't I'm pretty it? sure it's a millennium problem, is it not? tell if something is... Like, how do you know that you know, that... that you can be able to tell the answer. Like, is there a way where you can tell if a problem does not have an answer or something like that? And there was a problem that, I swear this was a problem that we spoke about. Mm. 
Again, I can I can reference it in a second, but it's not on the top of my head. But anyways, okay. yeah. Anyways, yeah. So, so you were saying so a, a problem where you don't really know about the answer or the solution. Right. Yeah. Then like we can make statements, mathematical statements, like every number eventually goes into this loop in the Colette's problem. Mm -hmm. That's a statement. It might be true. It might be false. There are mathematical statements that are true that we cannot prove. And we know for sure that we can't we prove them? We know for sure we cannot prove well, them. How do, you, how do you prove that you can't prove something? Good question. <laughs> That's a very hard result. <laughs> okay. That, okay, maybe I shouldn't say it's that a very was the hard whole thing. result. No, that, that was like the whole thing of this, right? It was right? very clever. Mm. Um, and it had been a bunch of work throughout like 1930s with Turing and 40s. Godel's incompleteness and theorem. Uh, Kurt that, Gödel was that was it. That was it. That was it. Fundamental decider of these problems. So Hilbert wrote down a big list of problems in 1900. David Hilbert mm -hmm. and Godel half solved this one, mm -hmm. just saying like we can't do this. Mm -hmm. um, along with Alan Church and Church's thesis that is like foundational to computer science mm -hmm. that tells us things about if you have some algorithm and you plug in something. How do you know if it stops or not? Mm -hmm. Maybe it is just taking a long time and it will eventually tell you an answer. Or maybe it's stuck in a loop. That's the, that's the halting problem. It's Some, exactly very similar the to the halting. Problem. That's Turing's halting problem. Very similar. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, we had a whole thing on this. Yeah. The way that we show that certain things are undecidable is to create a halting problem out of them. And say, if that we can sense. decide this for all of these possible inputs... Then and we should, should solve this halting problem. Yes, exactly. And we so know that we not can't halt. solve the halting problem. So there must uh, be some inputs uh, where we cannot answer this okay, question. Yeah, okay. so that was literally the incompleteness theorem. Yeah, so, you, so, so we had this on the Turing episode. So, so you have a now. problem that you know you can't solve, and then you just make your problem look like that problem, yes. and then you say, And ah. our favorite problem <laughs> is the halting problem. <laughs> the halting problem is a classic. Like, how do you put it in itself? It is yeah. the problem that we know that we can't solve. And so we That's turn crazy. our other problems into that problem. Mm -hmm. Are there any other like problem, like a problem that we know we can't solve, but is just fundamentally different from the halting problem? Well, all the millenniums. That's not a question for me. We were talking about primes. We were talking about We were talking about primes. So I wanted to ask if there's any knowledge that you have on the Riemann hypothesis or the Riemann. Or oh boy. However, he said, because I know it's a very complicated way of describing it we tried doing it on the millennium problems episode but i don't think we really got the point across because i don't even think we truly understood the zeta function or whatever sure. that's that's introduced with the riemann hypothesis so i know because we were talking about primes very recently so could you have a quick on the riemann Maybe. hypothesis i mean i can a quick dabble because i know no because we're talking about problems uh, that can't be solved i can maybe and tell then you we're also we talking can. about primes and so fact, i think it's i can perfect. tell you that this problem is not in the realm of problems we can't solve. Wait, Riemann hypothesis has been solved though, right? Yeah. Or but isn't it's it solvable? One of the, it's solved. We know it has an answer. Hmm. It is not an undecidable. Wait, question. so do you do you know if there are? So every question that has an answer, you know that it has an answer. No, that's an, okay. Okay, so so exactly. But so some you, questions so you don't even know that. Oh damn. Okay. Some questions because okay. of like the yeah. way that we can formulate them, we can say we have this many quantifiers. We quantify over certain sets. 
by that I mean I'm saying we're asking is this true for every element in a certain set? Is it true for every subset of a certain set of something? So we can write down like a formalized statement and then we have families of statements that we know are all decidable. So the Riemann hypothesis is a question that's decidable. P versus NP, we don't know if it's decidable. Oh, so we don't even know. So there oh. is a millennium problem where we might, we might never know that there's an answer to this question. So we don't even know if an answer mm. could be found. Right. Damn, that's mm. just on a new level of not uh, knowing. <laughs> an Anavier-Stokes equation is a similar one to this. Mm. We don't know that there should that there could be <laughs> something That's, like this. Does it scare you as a mathematician, or or I actually want to know just your just your opinion on this as a mathematician, like the fact because I know because everyone has different answers to this, but that the fact that there are answers or questions, sorry, that don't have answers or cannot be answered, like you were mentioning previously about oh, like we know this can't be solved. Like, is that unsettling to you? Because I don't know someone who's like in, in physics, for example, like you say, I mean, there's nothing I don't think in physics that, well, I guess neighbor Stokes, but um, there are like most things in physics, at least, you know, okay, I don't know it like dark energy. I don't know anything about it, but finding something out, like anything that I do find out about it will just improve the knowledge of dark energy that we have. But in something like math, you don't even know if it can be solved. No, right. you, sometimes you do know. Sometimes it, you do. No, but the, the question that I'm asking you is as a mathematician, is there ever like an unsettling feeling that you have that you're like, oh, this can't be solved. Like, I want to figure something or like anything like that. Or are you just happy or content with the fact to. that? Yeah. Mm. Um, used to. I used to have a perception that like mathematics exists outside of human construction mm. that is somehow universal. And at that mm. point, I would think, well, not having an answer and knowing that we can't have an answer is like a flaw in mm. mathematics. Exactly. That right? that's a problem. Exactly. Yeah. But now I think math is just a human construct. We just make up the rules. And we have made up some rules to describe numbers. Within that set of rules, there's questions that we can't answer. That's just that's a, wow, yeah, that's, that's just a, totally a different yeah, way of a, thinking it's about... It's a property of what we defined. No, but that's a totally different way of thinking about, you know, what and what well, can I be think answered the difference, and what can't be answered. The difference is because in physics, when we see something that we can't explain, the difference is that we see it happening. And so we know there's an explanation. Yeah, so exactly. That it doesn't necessarily make sense, but there's an explanation that can be exactly. formulated. So. Well, we can yeah. dig into why is this yeah. happening. You can yeah. keep asking why. Yeah. Right? Because you see it happening. So you know it's happening. Yes. You know it's there. So. Yeah, in math, you don't even know yeah, if that's you don't true. Know, you, you don't, don't know. even know if what's happening <laughs> yeah. is happening. At least in physics, you can see something happening. So mm -hmm. there's always so there's always that connection. to, And this is what I'm bringing back to the original, that connection to, to reality that physics has. That, you know, the lack of math, that it's all kind of abstracted, which I always find in general just interesting about, you know, people who get into high levels of mathematics who like I, I just love to, you know, tease their brains because because I don't know, just the way that pure mathematicians brains think is just in a way that's so rigorous because you're not looking at the world in, or at least the way I think of pure mathematicians. Again, you can correct me if I'm wrong, sure. but you're not looking at the world in terms of how can I apply it, but you're looking at it 
in a very abstract method. Like you're deducing like properties of, you know what I mean? Like you're not directly applying what you're learning into the real world, but more or less you're taking into the real world. You're trying to generalize it to any world and you, and you see what happens out of that. Just like a, it's like a brain puzzle. Like the way I view math is just trying to, is just trying to uh, work out your brain. It's like a nice fitness routine for Absolutely. your brain. And then up, where do you apply it? You apply it in physics. Obviously, this is, every, <laughs> this is every physicist's thought. But like this is where I see math. So like where, where, where do you see math? How do you see it yeah, differently than I do? Or do you see something? brain puzzles that we can give to each other. Mm. And say like, hey, have you ever looked at this? Have you ever thought about this? I guess number theory would be a big part of just brain thing, puzzles. And then it's right? fun. Mm. Yeah. And when you, when you realize why... Then you get this surge of excitement and you go, oh, that's why. Now I understand. So cool. <laughs> yeah. And then you make another yeah. one. <laughs> and then you share those things with other people. And that is very much a social construct. Mm-hmm. That we're doing math because it's enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And because we get to share it with other people. Damn Newton. And then all the... All the cool things that you figure out, the physicists go, oh, let me use that real quick. <laughs> let me use let me, let me, let me nice just, Yeah, no, it is nice. It's like a donation box. <laughs> it's, it's no, because I mean, that that's where we get all our stuff from. No, like yeah. All of our nitty gritty is 100%, from math. 100%. Like mathematicians provide a lot to the world. <laughs> right? Well, they're just like tools to help explain things that we see. And then we just pick the ones that help us. Yeah. Or, I mean, I guess in the ter- in terms of number theory, I mean, it's not only things we see, but it's directly things that's w- that we've made. Like, numbers are basically human. Numbers like, are Like, literally things, yeah. things that we made up. Yeah. Do you think, like, an alien civilization would discover or have numbers? I, I think, no, no here's the thing. In, numbers in, in the terms sense, of number way. theory, the way that, like... I think there would be some translation. That's exactly my, that's my question. Would you, obviously in the numbers, like you wouldn't see one being written down in the same <laughs> way, obviously. But my, 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 my thing is, do you think that the theory part of it, like it's universal, of course. Like the numbers, no matter what you do here, will be the same thing on another planet so somewhere else in the universe. universal to me. Mm. In, the, in like the 50s <laughs> and 60s, um, mathematicians developed... Um, this way of framing a lot of concepts that is called category theory. And in category theory, we think about objects and we think about relations between the objects. They are like functions. Mm-hmm. So if you would like, you can think about not just one vector space like R2 or R3, but all possible vector spaces. Maybe you pick some field, you say all possible real vector spaces. Mm -hmm. And maybe you want just the finite dimensional real vector spaces. As a category, this is the same as the set of natural numbers. Oh, yeah. Because you're just counting up. We're just counting up. Whatever vector space we have, we look at its dimension. That's the main thing. If two mm. vector spaces have the same dimension, they basically look the same in this category. Mm. Mm. There's an isomorphism between them. So the category only knows the structure. Mm-hmm. And the integers provide this like universal structure 
that shows up in any kind of the, the phrasing of it is a discrete dynamical system something this is very much in the category theory realm um, but something that we know will show up anytime we have separated objects that can map to themselves so if mm -hmm. i can define a function that inputs a natural number and outputs or inputs an integer and outputs an integer or inputs something and outputs something same from thing. the same yeah. area and that area is discrete that is there are points that are not right next to each other we can separate them out mm -hmm. by like a finite ball by like, something yeah, by like somehow ball. they're yeah. not crammed up um that that gives us the integers mm. so that the integers okay. will appear whenever we want to do some very simple things but hold on if if you need this idea of separation between mm. the numbers that means you need to have a notion of like things being in between and then there being distance between the two or at least that there is some way to separate but why can't you just say that the integers are right next to each other sure I mean, we can. We exactly. probably wouldn't call them integers. No, you wouldn't. But it wouldn't be discrete anymore, right? The whole like the whole point of no. But in the just just when you when you think about integers, you say there's one and then there's two and then there's they're separated, mm. but separated like by what you know? Aha! Uh -huh. Just nothingness. So I guess the framework is if there is anything that can be separated. We don't need to know that they're integers. Just something that can be separate from something else. Yeah, my that my brain is going to two, three, seven, like right now, like like the like an epsilon ball around something, mm -hmm. and that's and if it's an epsilon ball, if it's not contained in the epsilon ball, it's discrete. That's just my. <laughs> I'm just I'm just having well, such a proof it, level. You can separate. Yeah, you can separate. Yeah, sorry, separable. they're separable if it's mm -hmm. not in that ball. But yeah. yeah, that's that's how I would think about it. So. Yeah, well, we all we need is this idea of things being discrete mm -hmm. and the idea that something you can input something and output something else. Mm -hmm. And together, those two things give us integers so that integers are somehow universal in that sense. But that's not really how I think about them. I just like a cool pattern. Mm -hmm. I like to look at a list of numbers and go, what's going on there? Can I explain this? I guess if you so, so then they are then they would be universal. So then yeah. So then you do so, think an alien. Yeah. So so, yeah. so the aliens would have some notion of integers. Exactly. Sure. There you yeah. go. <laughs> exactly. Okay, we got that. Perfect. We got that. A aliens would be smart. Aliens would be smart. Can answer this question, about What do you get when you add up all the digits of the factorials? Because there's something so. Okay, I think the idea of a unit is universal. Like you can't, or, I mean, of course we are humans on this planet speaking from what we know, but you know, if, we can't really talk about universal. If you start <laughs> describing things about the world around you, you're, you're automatically going to have to be like, there is one of those things. Like eventually one will come up <laughs> and then, you, and if one comes up, you can just put another one of those and say, Hey, there are two. So I think that's what I think. I think the, I think the the origination of numbers are pretty obvious. Like, I think that would happen universally speaking. 
but well from our perspective from like, our perspective, i know i know it's also it's also weird to say because it is all from our perspective as mammals and as animals yeah. we can manipulate definitely. the environment definitely as people who have eyes no what do you mean ears. i mean i think okay yeah well i think like even you fish, don't need eyes for and example ears. i think fish you don't need eyes no and I, ears. you don't need them but i'm, I'm saying sorry. everything can probably tell one versus two hmm. can it, i think this is a difficult <laughs> question in practice yeah like if you're a mushroom yeah and if alive. you see a couple of mushrooms, okay, I guess that's a different. Are they the same mushroom or not? And you might need to go underground and see mm. if they're connected. If they're connected. Mm. And maybe the scale of it is just so enormous that it's impossible for you to tell if any two are actually the same organism or not. Like in practice, you wouldn't be able to tell. Mm-hmm. Could that mushroom tell? Oh, because he's a part of it. Right. So he would know. And a mushroom is probably not a he. Right. I mean, no, that's how <laughs> he would know. <laughs> yeah. It would The know. mushroom they, would know. The mushroom, does the mushroom know? Does the mushroom have a concept of this discrete? And that I would say, I don't know. So maybe there's like alien forms that are all like mushrooms. Oh. Why not? They don't need to count discreetly. Well, well maybe not to. <laughs> like, I feel like counting is. I don't know. I don't know, actually. <laughs> as, as something that's alive and that tries to describe things, I feel like you need a unit. We're not only alive, but we're also intelligent, which is a big difference between us and okay, mushrooms. Well, that's, I think that's within the category of wanting to describe things. Yeah, but why would... No, but I think us describing things would be more necessary than a mushroom needing to do the same. Because we are not only intelligent, but we can control our surroundings. Like we can actually do things with knowledge of the fact that two things are different. What will a mushroom do? Hey, I'm different. Okay. I'm just going to continue sitting here for the rest of my life. <laughs> like at least we can be like, okay, this is different. Let me go do something about it. Let me get one more. Or, or you know what I mean? Like I can, like as intelligent beings, I think it is a little bit different than non-intelligent beings. Do you want to pause think of the same recording thing. stuff? Oh, no, that's all right. That's probably the, that's probably the storage. We can still continue just talking. Full. Yeah, that's probably just... We can just still... Just, yeah, so the mushroom, probably, my thought of it, mm. is still not even... Does not even need that knowledge. So it's not really important. But for someone like us and someone like intelligent alien civilization, I can see them needing something okay, like this. Okay, but what if the aliens are the mushrooms? No, then that's what I'm saying. Then, this, then there's no oh, point. there you go. Then there's no <laughs> point. Do we need to know about natural numbers? I think so. I mean, of course, we could just not do math at all and not count things at all. In that case, in that case we don't need natural numbers. Yeah. So maybe <laughs> so, we don't. Yeah. I guess. I, but it's a useful thing. I guess we want natural numbers. I guess it depends on, yeah, on the uses. I guess everything that we really make, I mean, humans, if you think about it, like where we make everything, the whole idea of math started because we just wanted you a tool to help us do something else is what I would think how it started. That's but, interesting. Because I would think it started like the whole concept of mathematics would have started when you're trying to analyze some situation, obviously on paper, 
or at least I would think on paper. And let's say, like for example, Where, you have some numbers. When I, do you think paper was invented? Okay, yeah. no, not not paper <laughs> like that. I'm saying like not practical. It's like I'm saying like in your head, mm. not like that, that's the distinction I'm trying to make. Not actual paper. Not like you're writing it down on paper. But I'm what, the point I'm trying to make is like I think maybe mathematics was first used when you're like, hey, I have a bunch of numbers or I have a bunch of things. And I want to analyze something about those things. And you create a concept that we now call mathematics to analyze those sets of numbers. Right? Which is what my thought would be how they originally invented. I now, would say even to have a concept of numbers is mathematical. Hmm. How do you get the numbers first? But I really, guess even, that like even, mathematics yeah. is a bunch of processes. Even thinking of one, two, three, even those, even that itself sure. is mathematical. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So then, mathematics would have started even even prior. And these things are about logic, about if mm. this happens. Oh then yeah, this logic. If we but say is math that mathematical, is that logical and mathematical? Does that count? It's here and there. It's kind of on the same, but it's not really. Right? <laughs> Very questionable. I don't know that it's questionable. <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. Because I don't, I don't know if logic, because I think logic is still rooted in philosophy. Now, everything is rooted in philosophy. But I think math no, comes out of the logic. Rooted. Oh, where's philosophy rooted? I think philosophy is rooted in the human brain. Yes. That's my answer. I think philosophy is significantly that is the, that rooted. That's the worst answer. You don't think so? I think philosophy it's is in it's in the human brain. No, it's rooted in the human brain. That means like what does the, that even mean? The root, like, like where where's the root coming from? It's coming from the thoughts that you have, questioning yourself, questioning your surroundings. But, so you're saying thoughts are in your brain? Are you saying otherwise? Thoughts are not in your brain. You're saying thoughts are literally in your physical not brain. physically, man. Well, there like, you go. On. So what I'm do you saying, mean by where? Well, physically, first so of all, yes, the where? neurons are firing in your brain, first of all. But second of all, like the thoughts in is general. Is like philosophy? And <laughs> yeah, this is, yeah, yeah, this is significantly went, and went into philosophy. But I'm just trying to say Let that... Let me bring us back to numbers. Yeah, no, yeah. go ahead, go ahead. In number theory, I see some stuff and I go, why is that going on? So if I'm thinking about properties of integers or natural numbers i want to look for different patterns maybe i want to look at primes maybe i want to look at square numbers if i take any number and i multiply it by itself any natural number i get this pattern that goes like one and then four and then nine and then 16 and then 25 and then 36. i get a bunch of squares and if you want to have a physical description of it, you can say, well, it's the area of a square that has that side length. So maybe you care about it. But for me, I just want to know, like, what's going on with these? Can I say anything about them? And one thing I notice is sometimes two times a square is very close to another square. So like two times four is really close to nine. And 2 times 25 is really close to 49. Did I just miss by 1 every time? So I want to know, does that usually happen or is that unusual? 
and I can ask very similar questions. What about cubes? Sometimes I notice, okay, if I cube a number, that means I multiply it by itself three times. So like two times two times two, that's eight. Eight is a cube. Three times three times three gives me 27. Four times four times four, 64. Sometimes a cube is really close to a square. Hmm. Like eight, really close to nine. I don't have any other examples, but does that, I guess one is really close to zero. Does it ever happen again? Does my other one ever happen again? Can I, I get two times a square to be within one of another square? Are there numbers that are cubes and squares? Are there any numbers that are cubes and squares? Let's go up a little bit more. First off, do you have a conjecture about this? Oh, 64. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we found it. I didn't have to go much further. No. The next square on my list was yeah. 64, yeah. which is 4 cubed. So maybe I want to go, wait a minute. What numbers are on the list that are the same numbers? There's 1 and 1. That's a cube and a square of 1. Mm -hmm. 64 is a square of 8 and a cube of 4. Are there other numbers on that list that are the same? There must be. Why? Because it happened so early. <laughs> it happened early, so yeah. you think there must be. Yeah. Okay. What a form of these theory. three questions, one of them I think you can solve right now with what you know. One of them I think you can solve, but it will take a little trickery, and I might have to tell you about algebraic numbers. One of them you can't solve. We know the solution. It's very complicated. Two answers are there's infinitely many. One answer is there's only this one example. Hmm. And they all happen pretty early. What were the questions again? Can you find a square that's also a cube? Yeah. Can you find two squares where two times one of them is within mm -hmm. one of the other. Yeah. Can you find a square and a cube that are close together within one? Okay, I think that um, there are, like the answer that was, there are a whole bunch at the beginning is the one that they're one apart in the squares. Okay. And So we had these examples, the square four, Two times four is within one yeah. of nine. Yeah. The, and then two times 25 is in, within one of 49. Yeah. The reason why I think that is because the, the distance between square numbers just increases so much that if you multiply one, like an earlier one by two, it's going to be like somewhere in the middle, but just very far away. Okay. So it, it'll just happen less and less okay. as you keep going. So what about... I mean, this is a good motivational idea. It should happen. Mm -hmm. They spread out. If you double one of them, it's going to fall in between some squares, and once in a while it will be right next to one. Mm -hmm. What about cubes versus squares? If I look at all the cubes, the squares are still spread out the same way. Now when I'm cubing a number, it's going to fall... In between some squares. Does yeah. it ever land right next to another one? 
Eventually. Okay. We spread out. But even more spread out than the the first question, but But there should so. be more. Yeah. Right? We found one really early on. Actually, wait, this might be like some type of uh rational, irrational type thing where it's just so spread out that it just never happens. I don't know. Yeah, my mind just thinking this whole time. I'm just trying to because, come up, but I don't think I can. Because the cubes spread out way faster than the squares. But sometimes they land right on them, right? Like 64 and 64. Do you think that there's a bunch of cubes that are squares? I was thinking about the relationship between oh, yeah. the 64 and 64. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, 64, it's, uh, it's four cubed and this is eight squared. And I'm like, okay, think about some relationship between four and eight. And but that doesn't really apply to everything because then I did another example with like yeah. So two we're and talking four, about like, apply. we're trying to solve like for what integers is like m to the n equal to m n to the m with some combinations. Basically, I feel like it's infinitely. A to the b is the same as c to the d. This sounds yeah. like such an Olympian problem. I feel we like have, it's... we have some fixed parts, right? We want like a to the three equals b to the two. Oh yeah. A to the three. Oh, that's what we're trying. Yeah, right? that's yes. Yeah, equals b square. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We want yeah, a cube yeah, 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 that's yeah, also yeah. a square. And we want to find the values of a and b exactly. I don't know. I want to say there's infinitely many, but that just contradicts what I said earlier. So I don't know, right? Because what we're doing, I mean, if you put it just algebraically like that, like what you're doing in this case. So you're just going to have, I can't think of an answer. Like I can maybe think can you find about another it, example. So this is the next thing that I would do. Like uh, as a number theorist, I look at these things. I would find the next go, example, but I'm not trying to like think about that. Python. <laughs> but sure, I would probably do that. Make a computer do the work. Yeah, for sure. Something can compute a bunch of squares for me. Something can compute a bunch of cubes for me. And then it can just tell me what the numbers are. Hmm. Um, do you want me to give you an example? I mean, if you have one on the top of your head. Sure. Um, how about 2,100 2000, uh, and... Wait, that was on the top of your head? 87? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's on the top of your head? Everybody knows. <laughs> <Wow. laughs> uh, I know I'm worried that I picked, that I picked something that is not going to work. Red. <laughs> but I think that this is, oh, I can, never mind, I can make an easier one. 729. Obviously. 729, that's 9 times 9 times 9. Sure. So it's a cube. Oh, but right? not, 9 yeah. times 9 is 81. Right. 8 times 9 is 72. Okay. But 9 is also 3 squared. Hmm. So what? So you get, so it's like three, three times three six. times three squared. Okay, so it's three times three times three squared. So it's also twenty seven squared. Oh, so there are infinitely many because Why? you can just pick any number, or let's say you pick any number that is not prime, and what you can do is just write it like multiply it by itself n number of times, and then what you can do is just say, okay. Wait, no, sorry. Let me reset that. You you pick any number. You pick any number that is composed of squares. So a square. 
Yes. Okay. So, <laughs> so no, you take a square, you multiply it by itself n times, and then that's also going to be the same thing as just taking, decomposing it into what it's, what it's base is that what it's called the the number Maybe that you oh yeah you decompose it into its square root and then you pull out the square and they say that number is also a square so it's a cube and a square it's okay an, so but that only works for numbers it's three times but that right? but that that only works for cubes that have that, that are no, squares because I, I can say that nine times nine times nine times nine times nine n times yeah but nine has a square is what i'm yeah, saying but i said that at the beginning okay so it works only for numbers with yeah. squares yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So, so parker's algorithm is start with a square okay multiply it by itself some number of times like yeah. if you want to get a cube multiply it by itself three times mm -hmm. then you know that that number is a cube yeah because you multiply three times you also know that number is a square because it's the if you take the square root of your original number, mm. you can sort of pull that part out mm -hmm. the n times. Mm -hmm. So there's a proof. Infinitely many. There's infinitely many cubes that exactly hit a square. Yeah, because if yours has infinite, that's, then there's obviously... That's surprising. And let me tell you, there's only this one example of a cube that's one less than a square. And aside from like one and zero, there's no examples of a cube that's one more than a square. They they wow. never get close again. That's just. This is a result from 19 years ago in wow. 2002. That is so recent. So they oh my god they hit wow they hit the squares infinitely many a times, but they never go one over. They never go. That's crazy. That's crazy. And they only once go one less. Wow. 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 So that's really something. That's uh, by a Romanian mathematician, Mihal Escu, and uses a lot of techniques in from algebra. Man, if that if that doesn't get you to like really understand or love what number theory means, I don't know what will. Mm. That right there was the 100%. intuition required. That was deep. Sure. No, I can I can definitely see the appeal. So at the yeah, start, you asked for like, what are some big theorems? And I would say a really big theorem in number theory is that if we take some kind of an equation with cubes and with squares, or mm -hmm. just with cubes, that there's a finite number of integer solutions. So this question was asking, can you find any a cubed minus b squared equal to 1? or equal to minus one. Mm -hmm. And that this equation only has one solution is a surprise. In my research, I look at things like, can I take five a cubed minus seven b cubed and get some number? What's the smallest number I can get by plugging in integers? Sometimes it's one. Sometimes it's not one. Sometimes it's bigger than one. How much bigger? Mm. And then I want to know, can I tell just based on the coefficients? Can I make it really big? Mm. Can I put some rules that say the only way that this has a solution is if that number is big? That somehow five times a cube and seven times a cube are always kind of far apart from each other. 
this might be uh, an obvious question, but um, is there an upper bound to the separation between cubes and squares? Like how far apart can yeah. they be? Yeah. I'm not sure what you mean. Can I clarify? Um, okay, if I pick the example of one, if I said one squared, are you asking, can I find a cube that's really far away from one? No, I'm saying if you just plot all the squares on the number line and all the cubes, is there an upper bound to how far they can be from each other? Like if you pick, um, if you say, um, here's a cube. Oh, like the closest one yeah, to the, it. The closest one. That's a very good question. Yeah. I don't know that this is known. I just created a problem. Here's what I <laughs> Wow. Here's what I um, Let's see. Yeah, I don't think that this is known. Hmm. I'll look into that. <laughs> so we have some generalizations of like Mihalescu's theorem now. Can we find all the cubes that are two away from a prime or three away from a prime or four mm. away from a prime? But I don't know. You're asking, is there a certain number like K where there should be infinitely many cubes that are within K of a square? Yeah. I don't know that this is known, and I think that the answer will be no. That, that seems like a very specific, but yeah. also I can definitely see how that problem was inspired by exactly what we did, but yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah, good question. That could definitely, I think, I think that can be, that, that could be thought about as a proof. No. No? No. It's not a proof. It's, no, it's a but like, but We, we have, have a conjecture. Yeah. No, but it's a conjecture to prove. Like oh, we, yes, yes, yes. That's what it's I'm a thing. Yeah. Like we, we need to prove this. We do need to prove That's what I'm this. saying. That's what I'm saying. Welcome mm. to number theory. Yeah. Welcome we see to some patterns and we go, what else can we ask about it? Yeah. And now we want to think about proofs. And then we go to the other fields of math and we say, what can you tell us, please? <laughs> We're desperate. We need to know these things. Yeah. It's very important to us that we have a proof. And then they're very kind and they give us their tools. And we say, thank you. Maybe this is unsolvable. Maybe maybe there's just no solution. Hmm. <laughs> I feel like I can put it into the framework where we know that there's a solution. Mm. Okay. Um, but maybe it is unsolvable. Mm. Well, that's the art of number theory. I mean, super powerful. I mean, we can clearly see where it can, I think, be used in such a general case too. Like see, I don't know asking, that number theory can ever even be used. Like <laughs> no, but used in a sense where you can you can ask yourself like the basic stuff about. Like every anyone okay. can think about yes. it. Yes. Like it's not like something that a PH like a third year PhD Absolutely. level mathematic mathematic student can think of. Like even like even a non mathematic student can read it and be like, huh, that's cool. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's it's a very readable question. It's very analyzable answers. I mean, in ways that I guess are not really from number theory, but like there's still questions that can be understood and appreciated. I guess by the general public. This question we can say zero. Zero. There's a whole bunch of cubes that are within zero of a square. Yeah, but that's the lower bound. And you want to know... The upper bound. Hmm. Is there some number, K, such that there are no... Oh, that they're infinite? So, um, there's you pick a cube. They say, for all cubes, there is no square 
that is directly after or directly before it, that the distance between it and the square is greater than some number k. Mm. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> now you've you've formally <laughs> stated your conjecture. Yeah. Now you have this, mm. and now uh, uh, maybe someone will solve it for yeah. you and then tell you. That'd be nice. <laughs> well. Put it in the comments. It'll be comment of the week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It'll be comment Let's of see. the week. Let's, oh, of course. If someone solves that, <laughs> comment of the week for sure. That'd be crazy. So, yeah. I guess on that note, it's been two hours. Yeah, this is actually so, officially yeah. the longest podcast we've ever recorded. Cut it up. For sure. This is beautiful. No, we actually do not touch our podcasts because we, we like we like to keep it yeah. like raw. We like to keep what a mistake. You can get two weeks episodes with. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that would be cool, but no, not the point. The point is just whatever conversation we had, I'm just going to yeah. stream it raw and for enjoy sure. it for all the listeners out there. Sure. So, well, to the listeners now, hope you enjoyed it. Um, anything that we want to say? Just, I mean, the, the if usual. You're, if you're still listening to this episode right now, make sure to follow us on Spotify or YouTube or anywhere else. Really, anywhere. Drop a comment. Yeah. Thank you so much. We're almost at 2,000 YouTube followers. Oh, I didn't even say this. We're almost at 2,000 on YouTube, bro. Like, mm. I think we're like 20-something away. So, like, we're super, super close to the big, uh, big... Oh, no, sorry, not 2,000. Yeah, 2,000, 2,000. We're not at three yet. So, get us there. No, kidding. Uh, so, if you're obviously listening on any platform, why don't you head over on YouTube, go watch the video, just see our beautiful faces, smash that like button just for the algorithm, and uh, comment, as always, for the comment of the week. So, as always, uh, thank you guys for watching. Thank you, Dr. Zach, for even coming on here today. It was mm -hmm. a beautiful conversation, beautiful mm -hmm. place that we're in right now. Mm -hmm. I wish we could kind of have a 360 of all the whiteboards or the blackboards that we're looking at. I don't think we can understand a single nope. letter. Nope. Not a single not one. Not even a letter? Not, not a single one. Either. Not a single one. Like, you know what I mean? Like, in the context, <laughs> like, not a single letter. But anyways, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Right. This has been episode... 86. Number 86. Six. Yeah. I'm your host, Parker. And I'm Ray. And we will see you soon. Bye, guys.